This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome. Welcome. Automatically recognize boredom. Go ahead, try it. It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research, with a special pocket-sized episode about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Here's fluid dynamicist Nicole Sharp. Engineers are hard at work to find a way to give machines the power, the ability to recognize when a person, a human person, is bored. One study especially aimed to perk up people's interest in this quest. A Preliminary System for Recognizing Boredom by Allison M. Jacobs, Benjamin Franzen, J. Malcolm McCurry, Frederick W. P. Heckel, Alan R. Wagner, and J. Gregory Trafton, published in the Proceedings of the 4th ACM IEEE International Conference on Human-Robot Interaction in 2009. The authors are based at George Mason University, at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Jacobs, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton realize full well that there are many possible ways, different ways, to focus one's attention on boredom. There are, of course, many possible predictors for boredom. Some people may close their eyes and start to fall asleep, while others may show subtle facial expressions. Our goal is to explore automated methods of predicting a person's boredom level and then use that information on a robotic platform. Jacobs, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton focus their own attention on one particular approach. A visual tracking system was used to analyze videos of participants experiencing varying levels of boredom to extract information about their head pose and their position. We used a 3D optical flow tracking system. The tracking system is capable of tracking faces at distances of up to six feet with orientation changes of plus or minus 45 degrees. Nicole, in your extensive experience as an engineer, have you worked with systems that are designed to monitor boredom or identify boredom? No, not specifically. Have you wanted to? Oh, there are so many talks where that could have been useful. Uh, that approach, of course, involved people. People whom Jacobs, Franson, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton tried to bore. And other people whom Jacobs, Franson, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton assigned to pay attention to the people whom they were trying to bore. Participants were shown a series of repetitive videos. While these videos were intended to be initially interesting, they quickly became boring. Two judges watched videos of the participants, taking note of what they judged to be changes in boredom level. By combining these human judges' ratings and the information obtained from our vision system, we attempted to predict boredom and interest of the participants. Jacobs, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton go into fascinating detail about how they went about boring people and about some of the technology involved. 
Each participant was shown nine video clips in a random order for a total of 22 and a half minutes. Participants were seated in a small room in front of a computer monitor and viewed all videos in one session. An eye tracker recorded participants' gaze and fixation data, and two Logitech QuickCam Pro 9000 webcams on either side of the monitor recorded the participants' faces. After viewing the video clips, participants rated how bored they were in each video on a seven-point scale. Is this a typical kind of engineering project in your view? Well, I happen to be the kind of engineer who doesn't ever work with human subjects. Why not? I'm mostly interested in aerodynamics. So the number of people that you work with is usually limited to if you're working in a a large wind tunnel with, say, athletes who are trying to be more aerodynamic in their sports. Have you worked with anything like that? People in a wind tunnel? More I observed. I wasn't directly helping the people in the wind tunnel. Jacobs, Franson, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton also go into fascinating detail about those other people. The people Jacobs, Franson, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton assigned to pay attention to the people whom they were trying to bore. Two judges coded the videos. The judges viewed participants' heads and shoulders, including facial expressions. The judges rated the events as either a change to boredom or a neutral event that did not indicate a change in state. What do they mean when they say change in state? Well, that would be going from interested to bored or from bored to interested or some sort of neutral expression to a clearly bored expression. Change in state of mind, state of behavior? State of interest. That's not so easy to measure necessarily with a machine, is it? No, and that's why they're looking for some sort of physical clue as to that change of mental state. The technology was really the star of these proceedings. Pose and position were recovered automatically using face recognition to initialize the tracking system. What is face recognition the way they use it here? It's sort of like when you have your camera these days. A lot of times when you hold it up and start trying to take a picture of somebody, it can recognize where there's a face and sort of autofocus on that. The machine, in a sense, gets excited when it recognizes that something is a face. Yeah, there's some sort of pattern recognition going on there where it knows roughly what a face should look like, and it's able to identify from the image, here's a face. The machine, in a sense, stops being bored? In a sense. You could argue a machine is never bored. Not sure I would try. To keep things simple, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton kept things simple. For this preliminary analysis, only the participant's head velocity was used as a predictor. Could you put that into other words, uh, words other than the words they used? How quickly their head moved was what they used to determine if somebody was bored. There are a lot of they's in what you just said. They looked at how... The scientists looked at how quickly the participant's head moved to determine how bored the participant was. Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton noticed that sometimes when people grew bored, their heads would droop. To demonstrate this to us, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton prepared a simple graph. As shown in figure one, the smooth height of the participant's head gradually dropped as the experiment progressed. This can be interpreted as the participant slouching, which other researchers have shown as a sign of boredom. Nicole, you and I are looking at that graph right now. Probably nobody who's listening to us is looking at that graph. Could you explain, could you describe to them what they would be seeing if they were looking at the graph the way you and I are? All right. The graph is entitled Relative Location of Head. There's on the x-axis, so the horizontal axis, it says however many minutes into the experiment you are, and it runs from zero to 22 and a half minutes. On the vertical axis, it's running from an unnamed number that I will assume is about zero to 20. 
and it's labeled height of head. And the line is a little bit of a rough line, but it's going approximately linearly. So in a nice straight line for the first 10 minutes, and then it gets a different uh, uh, slope to it and kind of bottoms out in the last 10 to 20 minutes. You're saying it's linear, that it looks like a line, but to me, it's in its general form across the whole beginning to end of it. Yeah, it's sort of a line, but there are a lot of little ups and downs as if somebody's chin were going yeah. up and down, slightly up and down, slightly as their head is dropping, 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 dropping. Is that the way That's it looks That's true. It's, it's, it's a rough line. I'm, I'm sort of applying a, an engineering trend line to it mentally. What does this tell you? Uh, you look at this graph and just in, in a sentence or two, as a person, what do you see from what this is saying to you? It looks like what they're trying to say is that the location of the head is dropping compared to where it was before because they have it labeled relative location of the head. The part that troubles me personally is that there are no units indicated on the height of head. So it's unclear to me what 20 is and and what, say, if it ends at a value of about three, what that represents. Are we going from 20 centimeters to three centimeters? Are we doing 20 pixels difference? I don't know. So you're you're interested. You're not bored. That's fair. But you're interested because what they gave you is a little confusing. One of the first things we like to teach our students is always put units on your graph. And tell people what those units are. Yes, ideally. At the end of their report, Jacobs, Franzen, McCurry, Heckel, Wagner, and Trafton sum up what they had accomplished. We developed a method in which event ratings and data from our vision system were used to predict boredom and interest. These results remained preliminary because of the single participant examined. Velocity was the only predictor analyzed. In future analyses, we will examine other features of boredom, including eye gaze and spatial positioning of the head. When they say velocity was the only predictor analyzed, again, they mean what by that? They mean how quickly the head is dropping. So they went to all this trouble. So in the end, they had a machine trying to recognize when somebody's head is drooping as time goes on. Is that right? Correct. And at the very end of the report, the authors give thanks. This work was supported by the Office of Naval Research under funding document in 0001409WX20173. The views and conclusions contained in this document should not be interpreted as necessarily representing the official policies of the U.S. Navy. As uh, an experienced person who has read many technical reports, would you, in reading this report, have interpreted it in any way as necessarily representing the official policies of the U.S. Navy? No, but it's pretty typical to put something like that on uh, on research that's been sponsored by organizations like that. In case there's somebody somewhere who has any doubt? Something like that. Something like that. You've been listening, if you've been listening to a special pocket-sized episode of the Improbable Research Podcast, I invite, advise, and implore you to subscribe to the magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research, six new issues a year. Go get yourself some back issues, too. Also, get lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes and the ceremony and how we're coping with the copious constraints of the COVID-19 pandemic and info about how you can help via our Patreon. All this at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glicksman is the improbable production assistant. Next time on this podcast, we'll look at something or other. Until then. Goodbye. 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 <laughs>